Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Serial Killer Podcast, the podcast dedicated to serial killers, who they were, what they did, and how. I am your Norwegian host, Thomas Vyborg Thun. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he saith unto him, My name is Legion, for we are many. Mark, chapter 5, verse 9. We continue our journey through David Berkowitz's personal hellscape, fraught with demonic commanders demanding blood, hellhounds baying for sacrificial meat, and absolute isolation from everyone surrounding him in the Big Apple. Tonight, we start looking into how David Berkowitz got his nickname of the 44 caliber killer, his escalation into serial murder, and how he started to communicate with the general public. This episode is brought to you by my loyal patrons. Without your support, I would not be able to provide my dear listeners with weekly episodes. Regarding my Patreon... I have bonus episodes and exclusive content for patrons that donate $10 or more. Also, please contact me on Facebook or Patreon if you have requests for bonus content. For example, right now there is a really interesting interview with me, your humble host, by an American radio station available to those patrons. So... Please do not hesitate to contact me on facebook.com forward slash the SK podcast 
or send me a PM on patreon.com forward slash the serial killer podcast. So go to the serial killer podcast.com forward slash donate to join the exclusive $10 plus club now. On the 6th of July, 1976, the New York summer was swelteringly hot. Kids played in the water spray from opened fire hydrants. People sat outside enjoying the sun, perhaps drinking cool beers, while listening to Kiki D and Elton John's summer hit Don't Go Breaking My Heart, that you just heard a snippet of. David Berkowitz sat screaming inside his messy apartment, his inner demons finally overtaking his last shred of sanity, urging him to finally take his firearms outside for a proper asphalt jungle hunt for human sacrifice. He began what would become a grisly ritual. Stuffing his forty-four caliber revolver into a paper bag, he got into his car to cruise the streets. He was hunting, according to himself, looking for another victim while waiting for the proper signal from one of his demon masters. This particular night, he caught sight of two women in a car, and somehow he knew they were the ones. He followed them, watching as they pulled into a driveway in a hilly residential neighborhood in the Bronx. He parked his car and walked back in their direction, clutching the paper bag. By the time he reached the driveway, he was at a full run, but the women had disappeared. By his own account, Berkowitz spent much of July this way, driving around, waiting for a signal to kill. And so it was, at one o'clock a.m. on the 29th of July, that David was cruising in the Bronx when he spotted two young women sitting in a parked blue Oldsmobile. He swung around a corner and abandoned his car, pushing the bag-covered revolver into the waistband of his trousers. With his characteristic gait, he shuffled towards the women. They were medical technician Donna Loria, 18 years old, and a student nurse, Jody Valenti, 19 years old. The young women were parked in front of Loria's home. Her parents had just returned from a restaurant and had spoken to their daughter before going into the house. Donna had promised to follow in a minute. At ten past one a.m., Berkowitz walked up to the passenger side of the Oldsmobile Cutlass, pulled his revolver from the paper bag, and assumed a semi-crouch. He pulled the trigger five times. As the car windows shattered, Donna raised her hands to protect herself. 
David had not been a very accurate shooter, with only two of the five slugs hitting home. One of the forty-four caliber bullets struck Donna in the right side of the neck, severing her artery, causing her to bleed out relatively quickly. Another bullet hit Jody in the left thigh. She screamed out in pain before falling forward, landing on the car horn. Berkowitz dashed back to his car and drove away. He didn't know if he had succeeded in killing the young women until the next day, when he read the morning newspaper. He was elated to know that Donna had been killed. Berkowitz said in later interviews the following, It just happens to be satisfying to get the source of the blood. I felt that Sam was relieved. I came through. End quote. Down in Florida, Nat Berkowitz was growing more and more concerned. His son's letters were increasingly strange and disjointed. Nat urged David to see a psychiatrist, but the son refused. Thinking that perhaps David's half-sister would have more luck, Nat enlisted her to press the matter. But to no avail. Her brother's visits had all but stopped. David claimed he had gotten a new job that kept him far too busy to visit his family. It is not unlikely that the job David was referring to was his imagined assignments from the demon commander called Sam, and that he had to spend all his time preparing for and carrying out murdering young women to satisfy the demon's bloodlust. On the 12th of August, 1976, the demons in his head broke a period of relative quiet, prompting David to place an anonymous call to the police. In the call, he complained about the noise from someone called Joquin. A dispatcher at Yonkers Police Headquarters took the call at 4 a.m. and sent a local squad car to investigate. The officers, of course, found nothing. But if the police did not find the clamoring Joaquin, David was certain he was there, taunting him and torturing his mind. On the 23rd of October, after yet another long sleepless night filled with the harangues from Joaquin and a demon called the Blood Monster, David Berkowitz went out and performed his second murder. At 1.45 a.m., he dressed, tucked his forty-four caliber revolver in his waistband, and drove to the borough of Queens. At the corner of 159th Street and 33rd Avenue, he glimpsed a red Volkswagen occupied by two people. Inside were 18-year-old Rosemary Keenan, a daughter of a New York City police detective and 20-year-old Carl Denaro, who was four days away from reporting for duty in the Air Force. The pair had known each other at Queen's College and had met each other earlier that evening in a bar. Denaro escorted the policeman's daughter home, and they had tarried in the car for a while, reluctant to end such a pleasant and romantic night. Berkowitz crept up on foot, 
approaching them from the passenger side of the Volkswagen. He could see that one of the car's occupants had long, wavy hair. He raised the forty-four revolver and squeezed off five noisy rounds. As the echoes from his shots died away, screams rose from inside the car. But this time, David did not run away. He stayed behind for about a minute to observe the effect of his fusillade. Rosemary Keenan was unharmed in the driver's seat, but Carl Denaro had a bullet in the back of his head. Terrified, Rosemary started the car and sped away. Luckily, Denaro managed to survive David Berkowitz's clumsy attack. After two months of treatment, he recovered, but a metal plate that had replaced a portion of his shattered skull ruled out any hopes of a career in the Air Force. On the 25th of November, just over a month after his attack on the couple in the VW, David made what would be his last visit to his mother and her family, joining them for Thanksgiving dinner. At the end of the evening, his kin prevailed on him to spend the night at his half-sister's home. He was terribly restless, however. His sister Roslyn remembers that he seemed like a wild animal. He told her he would never hurt her, but she had no idea what he was talking about. She would later probably be glad she didn't know, because just the next night David would attack again. Sixteen-year-old Donna de Masi, a beautiful, slender girl with long, wavy, dark hair, was walking with her friend, eighteen-year-old Joanne Lomino. She was also a very attractive girl, but with long blonde hair. The girls were walking towards Lomino's house in Queens after an evening in Manhattan. Shortly after midnight, Damasi noticed a strange man standing behind a nearby street lamp. She nudged her friend, and the two of them walked quickly to Lomino's house, where they climbed the steps to the door. At that moment... David stepped into view and started to ask them a question, saying, Do you know where? But as he spoke, he reached under his jacket and produced a forty-four caliber revolver. Firing twice, he hit both girls. Tomasi was struck at the intersection of her neck and shoulder and Lomino in the lower spine. They screamed out in shock and pain before collapsing to the opposite sides of the stoop. Berkowitz, now more accustomed to his attacks and confident in his abilities, stood by and watched in fascination. Then he fired three shots at the Lomino house before running away. Next door, off-duty police officer Ben Taormina heard the noise and peered out of his front window. He saw the stricken girls, and rushed out to give artificial respiration as the first police car arrived. The bullet that hit Donna caused no permanent damage. Joanne Lomino was not so fortunate. Her spine was crushed, and she became paralyzed for life. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have our burdens to bear, dear listener, and as a man, I was and am often told to suck it up, keep calm, and carry on. Normally, good advice in many situations, but never talking about what bothers you is not healthy. Therapy is great to get things off your chest, to vent, and best of all, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Everyone needs someone to talk to, even psychopaths, even your humble host. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash serialkiller today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash serial killer. Following the attacks, David enjoyed no howling voices in his head for two whole months. But this was not to last. Under just a month after New York had celebrated the entrance into 1977 on the 29th of January, the forces of hell emerged in David's head once again. At 10 p.m. he climbed out of his filthy bed. He once again loaded his trusty forty-four caliber revolver, went down to the dark streets outside his dingy apartment building, and got into his car. He made his way cautiously out of Yonkers to the Bronx Whitestone Bridge and crossed, yet again, into Queens. Heeding his inner demons, he proceeded to the Forest Hills section of the borough and parked at a corner in a prosperous neighborhood not far from the Long Island commuter tracks. He got out of his car and started to walk. Just after midnight, at 12.15 a.m., a couple hurried past him, and Berkowitz got a glimpse of a woman's long, dark hair. He turned around and followed them to a blue Pontiac Firebird and watched them get in. The driver switched on the ignition, turned and kissed the woman as they waited for the engine to warm up. From his hiding place behind a tree, Berkowitz shuffled over to the car. Inside were 30-year-old John Deal, a bartender, and his fiancée the beautiful 26-year-old Austrian émigré named Christine Freund. As the lovers broke their embrace and John turned to put the Pontiac in gear, the right front window exploded in a hail of glass. 
Christine screamed out in pain as two bullets tore into her right temple and neck, and a third struck the dashboard of the car. She almost immediately lost consciousness from the head wound. In shock and panic, John leaned on the horn, then scrambled out of the car and raced down the street, screaming for help. Someone who heard the shots alerted the police, and within just four minutes a squad car arrived. Not ten minutes after the shooting, Christine Freund was at a nearby hospital, but at 4 a.m. she was pronounced dead. Thus far in his career as a serial killer, David Berkowitz had been very lucky. His crimes had taken place in different police jurisdictions, and with police cooperation in New York in the 1970s, being more competitive than cooperative, cross-referencing of reports and ballistics analysis was unlikely to happen very quickly. Moreover, the big bullets he used mostly shattered on impact, so the ballistics experts had very little to work with. As a result, the authorities of New York City did not yet know they had an active serial killer on the loose. This changed with the murder of Christine Freund. The following day, Bronx detectives called their counterparts in Queens and pointed out the shooting of Donna Loria in their jurisdiction. The common denominators were the mode of attack and the large caliber of the weapon used. Further checking turned up another similar case, the double shooting of Lomino and Damasi. And so it was that on the 2nd of February, a dedicated task force under the direction of police captain Joseph Borelli was put together. But police were far from catching the scent of their prey, David Berkowitz. His inner demons did not care that the police were organizing, and as so many other serial killers, he thought himself far superior and cleverer than any police force. On the 8th of March, the imaginary hellhounds in David's world began to howl for blood yet again. Although spring was in the air, he donned a heavy ski jacket and a stocking cap, and set out again for Forest Hills. This time he parked near the stadium that was in those days the site of the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament. It was early evening, but quite dark. As he strolled along a street near the edge of a gated community called Forest Hills Gardens, he saw a young woman walking toward him. She had long, dark hair and carried an armload of schoolbooks. 21-year-old Virginia Voskerichian was the daughter of an Armenian émigré. She was a student at Columbia University, majoring in Russian language studies, and had been a naturalized United States citizen for less than two years. When the very attractive young woman was nearly face-to-face with Berkowitz, he pulled the forty-four revolver out of his pocket. She raised her books in a vain effort to protect herself, but a single shot 
struck her in the mouth and into her brain. She was hurled backward into some bushes, where she died almost instantly. Berkowitz shuffled back to his car. On the way, he passed the first person ever to get a good look at him, at the sight of a Son of Sam murder. The man who saw him was 59-year-old civil engineer, whose name has never been released by the police. Hi, mister, David said to him. Seconds later, David was almost caught. A carload of police detectives spotted him from a distance, noting that he had slowed to a walk when he saw them coming. Unfortunately, the detectives were on routine street crime detail and not looking in particular for a serial murderer. They pulled up alongside Berkowitz and were on the verge of questioning him when the radio announced the shooting of Virginia. The cops, unaware they had the killer right in front of them, sped away and David walked calmly away, got in his car and drove home. His demons silenced once again. The next morning, the special task force met at Queen's 112th Precinct. I think we got a psycho here, Captain Joseph Borelli told his crew. The ballistics had finally made a match between the bullet used to slay Virginia and the ones used to end Donna's life. Borelli requested an additional 14 men, and a day later, the New York Police Commissioner Michael Codd announced at a Manhattan press conference that there was not only a link between those two killings, but among others as well. A borough-level task force was not sufficient for this level of crime, and 37-year-old Deputy Inspector Timothy Dowd was given charge of an expanded investigation. All of this was reported in the New York City newspapers, and David Berkowitz sat at home reading about it with great interest, gleefully reveling in the attention given to the mysterious 44 caliber killer. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And so ends part four of my special expose into the life and crimes of David Berkowitz. Next week I will give you part five where we will take a closer look at the letters penned by Son of Sam as well as his further murderous activities. So, as they say in the land of radio, stay tuned. I have been your host, Thomas Viborg Thun, and this podcast would not be possible if it had not been for my dear patrons, who pledge their hard-earned money every month. 
There are especially a few of those patrons I would like to thank in person. These patrons are my 18 most loyal patrons. They have contributed for at least the last 24 episodes, and their names are Sandy, Maud, Amber, Anne, Charlotte, Christina, Claudette, Evan, Jennifer, Joe, Lisbeth, Mickey, Philip, PJ, Sarah, Kerry, Russell, Mark, Lisa, and Troy. You really help produce this show, and you have my deepest gratitude. Thank you. If you wish to join this exclusive club of TSK producers, go to theserialkillerpodcast.com forward slash donate and pledge $15 or more to have your name read live on this show. As always, I thank you, dear listener, for listening. Please, feel free to leave a review on your favorite podcast app, my Facebook page, at facebook.com slash the SK podcast or Reddit. And please do subscribe to the show if you enjoy it. Thank you. Good night and good luck. <laughs> <laughs>